Amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're all doing very well this morning. If you would, please turn to the book of James, chapter 3, as we now get into James's teachings on the tongue. James, chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 3, 4, and 5 this morning. James is very much interested in how we speak to each other and what the world should hear from Christians and Christianity. If you're in verse 3, he says, We put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is the tongue a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord, that even today as it gently, Lord, corrects and reminds us how careful we must be with speech, how careful we must be with our words. Because, Lord, though this tongue is a small member of this body, its impact, Lord, is bigger than a ship. It's bigger than a strong wind. Lord, the tongue has the power to destroy and to build. It has the power to murder, but also the power to give life. And Lord, we, among all the peoples of the earth, should be about life. We should be about eternity. And these should be the things that the world hears from us. Lord, the Bible says, let no perverse speech come out of our mouths. And that is true and good. But today, Lord, James is telling us that be very careful about everything that comes out of your mouth. For the impact of it is so large and so great, you may not realize the destruction it can bring, but also the healing and the joy your tongue can encourage others. So we thank you, Lord. We ask you to guide us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. James rightly pulls from examples that they would fully understand as powerful. The idea of a horse. My mom has horses, and she always has, and I get to watch them sometimes take off at a gallop across the field and just seeing the power that we still measure things today in horsepower, depending on what engine you're using. But if you have a horse, you have one horsepower, and that power is a lot. That power is strong and mighty. Uh, when my children first started riding on my mother's horses, I would stand there next to the fence chewing my nails the first couple of times, watching my very tiny children riding these massive large animals. And though they were on the nice old horse who just did anything you wanted for the oats, it was a very powerful animal. And I would just sit there and go, yes, Lord, I trust you. I can't take care of him forever, but please <laughs> don't let him get kicked up into the air. This horse is powerful. He goes to ships, these massive ships. And we're not talking about a little fishing boat or a dinghy. He's talking about massive ships with sails so large they would almost cover this entire room. They're pushed by strong winds. And the idea of a strong wind, that comes up many times in the New Testament. Many times when Jesus and the disciples are in a storm, the really direct meaning there is a strong wind. And what's happened, of course, is off the mountains across the Sea of Galilee, those winds would blow and bring storms with them. And this idea of a strong wind pushing you, you know, we always joke about when Mr. Cantor shows up in our state for a hurricane or something of that nature. But the idea of a hurricane, when they came to the New World, when they discovered these massive storms, 
that could literally change the shape of the ocean, change the face of the ground, could affect things so much. In fact, it's where we get the term act of God. Because the idea with insurance companies is we can build something so great and so wonderful, but at a certain point, an act of God could completely wipe it out. That's how powerful it is. James is comparing these powerful forces to your tongue, your words, your mouth. And what he's saying is that we must be careful because the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And in next week in verse 6 and on, we're going to see that it's a world of fire and how dangerous it can be. But today, I believe he's reminding us of the effect of our mouths, the effect of our speech, the effect of our tongue. And what we need to do is be conscious of what we say. The tongue is small, but capable of the most powerful effects. The tongue may be small, but is influential. These three illustrations make the point clear. This is by J. Ronald Blue in his commentary. The bit, the horse, the rudder, and the ship, the spark in the forest of fire later on. James's use of imaginary imagery draws from natural phenomenon similar to the Lord's work often in the Old Testament. With this tongue, we lift up people and we destroy. We love and we hate. We murder and we give birth. We lie and we tell the truth. This tongue just about does everything. It is guided by holiness or it is guided by evil flesh, which guides our tongues today. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gives a warning about speech because I found in my own life, and I can only speak for myself, it is so easy for me to say things. And I have a profession where I constantly use my mouth literally to earn my living. And it's so easy for me just to be the talker, be the guy saying the stuff, right? Jumping in with the right answer about whatever Bible verses come up. And that's good. Those are good things. But it's also easy for me to say things that I shouldn't say. In fact, one night, this was years ago, as you're turning to Matthew 12, I had a uh, young student lie to me and tell me that another kid had punched him. And I just hauled off across the room and said, I'm not going to scream for the microphone, but hey, kid who was accused, come over here, I, come over here. And he come over, what, what? And I said, you punch him, this and that? And he just goes, I didn't do it. And I could just see in his eyes right then, he was telling the truth. He had no idea what was even happening. I was like, I'm sorry, man, go ahead, you're fine. And I looked at the kid who lied to me and I was like, we need to talk. <laughs> But instantly, my thought was just to yell at the other person, to correct them, get them right. And, that, and, I, and that's a failure of mine. It's so easy to jump on somebody, right? Especially when you're right. Now, I don't mean I think I'm right or, you know, oh, I know better than you. No, I mean, if literally you're right, you have the right information, you know the answer to the question, but it's so easy to, instead of humbleness and gentleness, it's so easy to go, this is what it is. There's a phrase I've even heard in Southern culture, and I grew up in it, so I use it too. Get on somebody. And we don't mean I'm going to physically jump on them, though that has happened and will continue to happen. Get on somebody means I'm going to tell them what they need to do. I had an experience yesterday that I think really illustrated some of what preachers maybe go through. And I hope this is interesting for you. There are many times where we preachers will just forget stuff. Somebody's told us something, and we'll just plumb forget it, and they'll be upset later. And you're just like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to forget you. But I had borrowed my dad's truck because I was driving the mower somewhere. And I had my 
AirPod in my ear. I was listening to a podcast. And I got in his truck, and it's his truck, and he keeps the radio to a certain station. And the station came on. And I had the podcast going in this ear, the radio station's going in the right ear, and my brain literally froze. It was like a computer glitch. And the little blue screen comes up, and everything just kind of freezes. And my brain literally was trying to listen to both sources of sound at the same time, and I had to turn the radio off and turn the podcast off and sit there for five seconds in silence to get my brain to reboot. Yeah, seriously, yeah. And I'm not old enough to have that problem, but it's happening. And, and I realized, I thought, man, those two voices at the same time, I couldn't even, I was having an issue trying to listen to both voices. And then I thought, there's a hundred people at church and I mean good things. I mean when they edify me, when they encourage me. That sermon that was so good, that encouraged me. I, I was studying because of something you said. When, when it's nice, you forget. Because there's so many voices going on. And I thought about how noisy our world is now. We talked about it in Sunday school. These phones that just constantly are bringing up information, noise, noise all the time. Right? It's almost like that monkey toy with the symbols, right? Right? I, those broke in my house. I'm not sure what happened to them. <laughs> Lost all the batteries, I guess. But that noise that's just going on, and of course we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 later. But that noise that's stopping you from being encouraged, from being loved, from being joyful, when we contribute to that wrongly, we are also one of those voices that's just screaming. I said one time about being on the internet, that posting something on the internet, you should not think, everyone's going to read this and they're going to change their minds. Posting on the internet is like screaming into the hurricane. It has little effect and not much will change. But when you pray and speak to the one who forms the hurricane, that's an effect. That can cause change in you. Matthew 12, verse 35. Jesus, as he often has to, is dealing with religious leaders and those who believe themselves to be right. And in verse 36, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, the final day, when you will stand before God's throne, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word. Now, I read that verse, and instantly, I think of a lot of careless words that I have said. And I am thinking about the ones I probably don't even remember that God is going to hold me accountable for. Now, there's hope for this later on in Christ. Remember, you don't stand there alone at the judgment seat. Thank God. But God is going to hold you accountable. Verse 37, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, what Jesus means is that the essence of your heart and your faith is demonstrated by your words, and that is what justifies or condemns you. We talk about what we love. That's why you hear me talk about cookie dough ice cream so much. That's why you hear me talk about my wife and children. That's why you hear me say these things, because I love these things, and you should hear me talk about God. Because if I love God, I'm going to talk about him. And if I don't ever talk about him, then it does give me reason to consider how much do I truly love my Lord? If there was a married couple and no one ever heard anything about the other spouse at any time, they eventually would start to wonder. You may not even know that you're married to this person because I never hear you talk about them. 
we, should, we love. And we talk about what we love. Our words reveal our hearts. Listen to yourself sometimes. Now, this is horrible because I, I edit my own sermon podcast, and it's the worst, church. It is the absolute worst, right? I'm going to edit this later today uh, to, to put it up on the podcast. And I listen to myself, and first of all, I go like, oh, oh, not good. <laughs> and then I listen to the sound of my own voice. Have you ever had that experience, right? Isn't that the most terrifying moment of your entire life? That's what I sound like. That's what everyone else is listening to. It can't be that bad. This recorder is bad. <laughs> this audio mic was terrible. Something must be off. Verse 37, because your words are be your justification, your words will be your condemnation. We talk about what we love. How often do we speak about our Lord? Because our words have power. And I don't mean power in the sense that, oh, I can do what God does. Because that's the flesh's attempt. God speaks and things happen. And we all want to do that. That's why we want to be the boss. We want to tell and have somebody else do it for us. But that's divine power. That's not human power. We're not given that ability, nor should we, because I would use it to do so evil and, and create so much calamity. It would destroy me. Every time I've been angry, every time I've, 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 I've literally been like, I just wish that person would go away. And if my words could suddenly form into existence, how I would destroy those around me, and myself. Your words have power, but not the way many people think, not the way the flesh thinks. Your words have power given to you by the Holy Spirit to hurt or to heal. Let's explore this. Turn to Proverbs chapter 12. Our words have the power to hurt, or they have the power to heal. We must be so careful, because the things we say, and, and, I, and I have made the mistake far more often in carelessness rather than malice. Wasn't angry, wasn't upset, just not thinking about what I'm saying. Saying things before I think about them, and of course I end up putting said foot insert into mouth. Right? And I have to go to the doctor to get that thing removed because I've stuck it in there so badly. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words so these words are rash, they are ill-timed, they are ill-thought, they are ill-considered, are like sword thrust. The one who has rash words, the one who is coming without love or articulation or thought or prayer is like running a sword through somebody. And I just, this is what I think we're doing in the world today. Online message boards, and we, and we email each other, we text each other, we call each other, we talk to each other. And so often the flesh is ready and willing to run a sword through somebody and cut somebody down. And we'll quote Hebrews, the word of the Lord is sharp and living and active and cut you like a two-edged sword. That's not scripture cutting them, that's you. Running our swords through people and then wiping the blood off on our leg and saying, yep, I'm right. They need to get right. But we're not right. The Bible's so clear over and over again, who is without sin? Cast the first stone, Romans 3. There is none who, have, who are righteous, no, not one. So who is the one who is worthy to go around with the sword and cut people? Who can claim the sword and claim the righteous standing of, I can do it. I'll cut him down. The flesh says it will. What did Jesus do? He was worthy to take the sword. And where did he thrust it? Into his own self on the cross for your sins. He could have called down the legion of the angels. 
He could have vaporized all those who mocked him and hated him. But instead, he lifted up his eyes toward heaven and said, Father, it is finished. Jesus took the sword he was rightfully able to pick up. And instead of killing you, instead of slaying me, he run it through his own self. He fell on the sword for your sin and cast those sins far away. But the tongue of the wise, the rest of verse 18, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now in my flesh, I have done this. I have run my verbal sword through people and walked away feeling great about myself. How arrogant, how evil. I'm so thankful God has given me his word to mature me and correct me that he has the sword, his Bible is the sword, it will run through and correct as it needs to. I must be wise and bring healing. And just to give you a practical example, when someone makes a mistake, when someone sins, it is very easy to stand there and look at them and go, you sinned. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. Yes, thank you. They know that. Right? You know that when you've sinned. And I got to do this with a friend recently, and I could have done it. I could have taken that sword and been like, but instead the Lord was keeping these verses on my mind, and I said, hey, I got down next to him and said, hey, me too. I am also a sinner, but you know who is it? Jesus Christ. And if we turn to him now, if we submit to him now, his perfection, his holiness is going to wash over us and heal this issue. And church, God, praise God, it did. I've, get, I've gotten to see teenagers practice this with lost parents. Come back and tell me, it worked, Mr. Josh, it worked. Rash words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I mentioned this in the message Wednesday night, but I'd like to mention it again. There's a really tough American Navy SEAL named Jocko Wilnick. I think I'm saying his name right, Jocko Wilnick. Wilnick. And he is one of the most battle-hardened trained men. They can't even tell you the stuff he's done because it's mostly classified. I heard him on a podcast talking about martial arts. And they asked him, what's the, what's the best thing to do if a group of men comes at you? You're all alone in a dark alley. What, what are you going to do? And I was ready because I was ready to hear the whiz-bang kung fu thing he was going to do. And he looked right at the guy and he said, I'd run away. I thought, this, this American warrior, this, this man we've trained, right? His arms are bigger than my head. And he said he'd run away. He said, if I'm by myself, no one to protect, no, no family with me, I'm gone. You can't catch me. He said, I've saved those guys' lives just as much as I've saved mine. And I thought, that's a wise man. How much more does God, who has the right and has no need to lift a hand to defend himself or destroy wickedness, but instead has run, and didn't run away. Where did he run to? He ran to the garden to pray, and then to the cross to die. God has done this for us. The greatest warrior there ever existed was our, the Lord our God. And instead of bringing the sword upon you for your sin, as he rightfully could, what did he do instead? He sent the sacrifice and the atonement for you. Because he loves you. He loves you. Think about God's words. Think about God's words and how they heal his people. How they reach down to his children and comfort them. The very ones who shake in fear before him because they know 
what he's capable of. They know what the father will do to wickedness and sin. But instead, to his children, he says, I love you. I love you. Repent. I will forgive you. Come home, and I will set the feast for you. You're my child, and I love you. That's God's words. That's God's words to his people. And I do say woe to you today if you sit there knowing that you're not one of his people and one of his children's, because his words to those people are, depart from me. I never knew you. And I will not preach of you the fires of hell, especially because it's not in my text today, because that's not what Jesus does. That's not what's bad about hell. We think it's the fire because we're so worried about the flesh. We think the fire is going to hurt, and it will. But what's dangerous about hell is the wrath of God being poured out there. Far more, far more painful than a flame is the wrath of God. The wrath of a father who looks at those who would hurt his children. That's what's going on in the lake of fire. But to his children, he says, come home. And one day he'll bring you at the judgment seat. And he will say to you, Josh Thomas, you said some careless things. And I'll say, yes, Lord. And he may ask me, "What do you, explain yourself. And there's only two good answers. The first one is, I am a sinner. But the second is, but my faith is in your son, Jesus. And God will look at me, and I think he'll say this. I'm not putting words in God's mouth. I just think this. He'll say, you're right. You are a sinner. You got it wrong all the time, constantly. But I got it right. And in my plan and in my will, you're my son. It is time to come home. Jesus got it right. He's getting it right right now. And if this was your and I and my power today, we have no hope. But we don't stand in our power. We don't stand in my intelligence. We don't stand in your spirituality. We don't stand in my abilities. We stand in the power of Jesus Christ. He has done it right. He has grabbed the sword and is able to use it, but has put it away and extended the hand of fellowship to you and I and said, the Father calls. It is time to come home. We should not be so ready to run the verbal sword through our neighbors. The flesh wants so badly to set everybody else straight all the time. Accept itself. Use words of healing instead of the sword. God wields the sword, not you. Speak scripture. And I love this. There are so many times where I wish I had just quoted a Bible verse. I should have shut up and just, just quoted the Bible verse and it would have fixed everything because either they would have been convicted by the verse or they would have been confused and I still would be better off than I ended up being in the conversation. Let the scripture do its work. Hebrews does say the word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Let it cut. Let it do its work. And when you and I speak the scripture over people, you're literally speaking God. See, there's a theology running around today, and we've been dealing with it even here local, that I'm going to get some special stuff that you can't find in the Bible. You can't get somewhere else. That's not what Proverbs is saying. That's not what James is saying. That stuff is almost borderline evil. You have the full counsel of God in your hands, translated almost perfectly for you. Use it. Use it. This is, this is the biggest trap I fall into, and I don't even mind confessing it to you. I, I have this book that has everything I need, but somebody asks me a question, and I go, well, let me think about it for a minute. Let me come up with a good whiz-bang answer for you. And you know what it is. It's just the flesh trying to sound smart. 
Instead, I should go, well, you know what? Let, I, let me think about a verse for you. <laughs> and I'm far better off. Let me actually get the words of God. These heal. These cut. They convict. They remove sin. And they bring holiness. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'd like to quote Sinclair Ferguson. He said, the Christian who desires to teach others must be mature and do two things with the tongue. Speak words of life and encouragement to build others up and speak the truth in love. Church, there are times when you're going to be called to say hard, harsh things. To certain people, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an evil, harsh thing to have to say to them. Having to tell someone that they are in fact a sinner, as gently and as lovingly as you can, will in fact probably make them mad at you. And they're going to accuse you of terrible things. They're going to say nasty things to you, horrible things. You're mean, you're bigoted, you're unloving. And I'm not getting into politics. I'm talking just the gospel. How dare you tell me that? How can you say that to me? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So that we may be mature, the Bible says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried uh, about the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Human doctrine. Jesus condemns the Pharisees for this. He says, you teach your laws as if it was from God, and it's evil because it's not from God, it's from you. And how do we tell the difference? How can I know that I'm not being carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning? You read the book of God. I mean, it is a really good day when the answer is read your Bible. And it's not any more complicated than that. That's a great day. I mean, I just need to read this, what I already have. I don't have to go buy something. I don't have to go find the right spiritual guru. There's a mountaintop i got to climb and find the guy with the white, big white beard. You mean it's just right here for me? Yes, it is just right here. But we're so often carried about by human cunning. And why? Why is the world doing this? Because they want you. They want you ineffective. They want you silent. They want you destroyed. They want you not praising God openly, not witnessing of the gospel, not making disciples. They want you to go along to get along. They want you just to agree, you know, disagree to disagree. What does truth and love really mean? Because they have craftiness and deceitful schemes. But verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Truth in love. And we are called to tell the truth. But we must be careful that I'm not, I'm not gleefully ready to tell the truth about somebody without the love for that person. Because if you're going to tell somebody about their sin, uh, let's use Jeremiah. If you're going to preach like Jeremiah, then you ought to cry like Jeremiah. My advisor, Dr. Tom Johnson, constantly asked me, what's the why at Joppa that makes you cry? And he did not mean in frustration. He meant the tears of joy. What is the thing that keeps you going that you so desperately want to keep doing to help those people and bring them as fast as you can to the holiness of God? What is it? And I still think about that sentence. What is the why that makes me cry? And it's truly this. The job of the pastor, the job of the church, is to edify the believers to worship God. 
to preach the gospel and tell people the truth about sin. And let me say this and be clear. Loving someone does not mean you're approving of their sin. In fact, I have found far too often that the truth goes unsaid because people have been they've been taught by the world and bad preaching that, well, you just need to love them. You just need to, you know, just let them kind of go on with what they're doing. No, it's not what God said. God said, tell them the truth. Tell them the gospel. Bring them me. But if you don't do it in love, they're not going to hear you. I talked with a friend yesterday. He works at what's called a dream center. It's a homeless shelter that their church runs. And across the street, there was a large uh, LGBTQ community gathering with lots of pride flags and shirts. And they were there, and the people had no bathrooms in the park that they were in. And they came over to the homeless shelter run by a church and said, may we use the bathroom? And my friend is at the door, and he said, yes. And not only do you need to use the restroom, do you need some water? They said, yes, we're very hot. And he brought them water. And in that moment, they asked him, what is this place anyway? And he went, let me tell you. This place shelters the homeless and helps them through our church. We give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, and there were some of them who went, oh, it's church stuff, okay. But there were others who vocally said as they walked out, man, these Christians are nice. These people are different. And he said, and it wasn't long before the sign waving, Turner Burns screaming people showed up who had no love, who were not preaching the gospel, were screaming in anger. Now I ask you, what's the difference there? Because my friend was truthful. But his love of them, his giving of water and restrooms to them was not approving of their sin. He was doing the very same thing that Jesus did when he sat with those sinners. And the Pharisees accused him, you're approving of sin, Jesus. He said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm bringing the life, the eternal life to them. I'm bringing the truth to them. And remember the whole counsel of God. Jesus said, when you bring it and you say peace to the house and they don't respond, there is a time to dust your feet and go on. Absolutely. But loving does not mean you approve of sin. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson goes on. He says, speak the truth in love, even if it hurts both hearer and speaker. If it is going to hurt the hearer, it ought to be sore. For the speaker. I thought about a lot of analogies for that. Truth in love. But I think the best way is this. When you sit down with somebody. And you're giving them the gospel. And you're literally telling them that they are in fact bad. And the idea that they are somehow good inside on their own. Is a Disney idea. It's not actually true. And they're confronting that thought for the first time. And they're going what? And they're getting angry. And they're getting excited. They're getting emotional. In that moment. With your love, they're going to forge a connection. They're going to see that you love them, and they will hear what you're saying. Now, this is a somewhat of a delicate topic because there's so many who just feel so strongly that I just, I just couldn't, I just can't love them because they're just, they're not right. And I get that. But truth and love is exactly that. And if you lose one, and 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 only have the other, you're not giving the whole counsel of God. I've done this with students. I said, my friend, young, young, young man, student, the truth is you're not really a Christian. 
is you just admitted to me that you don't really have faith in Jesus Christ. And the truth is, without Jesus Christ, you're going to perish. And the truth is, that's why you're having the struggles you're having right now. And the truth is, unless you repent and believe in him, you will be cast into outer darkness. But the love that I was pouring out to him and showing him and leading him with in our relationship bridged the gap and he was able to turn to me and say, help me. Pray for me. That young man was converted that night. Use the whole counsel of God and don't let the world steal the truth from you. Don't let them say, oh, you can't be like that. You can't say those things. You need to be nice. You need to be, and, and we've redefined loving in our culture because loving now means let people do whatever they want. If you don't let me do what I want, you don't love me. Where does love anyway? Love is from God. Love is, God is love. It's the very definition of his nature. What is God going to do? He's going to judge on the final day. But back in Ephesians, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, where each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's what we're doing today. We are building the body of Christ. And the ones who have no interest in the body of Christ, even if they're in the room or the assembly, will eventually be pushed out by the Holy Spirit. And those, God's people, will turn and worship Him. Speak the truth in love. And you may be called to speak a harsh truth. I've had to say some harsh things in ministry. I've had people be very angry. Leave. Walk away. Call me the most horrible things. Write articles about me on blogs. And that hurts. That can hurt you. And if you let that hurt stay, it's just going to grow into bitterness and then you're really going to be ineffective. But if you speak the truth in love, and even if someone leaves because of the truth, your love for them will cover, will cover the offense. And it's so easy to forgive when you love somebody. It's so easy. That's why God can forgive his children, because he loves them. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to go ahead and finish up here. 1 Corinthians 13 is typically known as the love chapter, often quoted in weddings, mostly from verse 8 and up. But we're going to be in verses 1 through 3 because I want you to see just exactly what the absence of love does. Interesting here that Paul doesn't say the absence of love is hate. No, he says it's noise. Just like me and the radio and the podcast, it's noise. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If the man or woman you're engaging with doesn't love you, it's no different than me up here. If I just smack my arms together and went ma, 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 really loudly the whole sermon. Can you imagine that? If I literally just started talking like Charlie Brown's teacher? Some of you would be like, he's lost it, he's gone nuts, I knew it. <laughs> Let's get him out of here. Where's the shepherd's hook? Some people would just sit there shocked. Others would get up and leave. That's what the absence of love is. It's random, useless, ineffective noise. And if that doesn't describe our world today, I don't know what else does. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and isn't that what we want to do? We want to know. We want to have the answers. If I have all faith as to remove mountains. So Jesus told me, faith like a mustard seed. I could say to that mountain, jump, and it would jump. And I can do that, but I have not love. I am nothing. I'm nothing. If I do give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Loving is not approving of sin. And we know this because Jesus loved me and Jesus loved you when you were a sinner. And I'm still a sinner. Yet he still loves me. How could these things go together? Oh, praise be to God for his will and his plan because there is a destination for this sinner. See, I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, Josh Thomas, you said a lot of careless, stupid stuff. <laughs> yes, Lord. What do you have to say for yourself? I am a sinner, Lord. Who's that next to you? That's my Savior, Lord, your Son. And then Jesus is going to take over. And Jesus is going to say, My Father, this one whom you sent me to get, I have retrieved. I have lost none that you sent me after. And I now stand as the sacrificial atonement, ready to complete this process that I started on the earth. Your will has been done. And God the Father will say to the Son, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And Jesus goes in, and guess who he leads by the hand? You and I. That's truth and love. That's the power of a word to heal. And so I encourage you today, church, I want to leave you with one practical aspect that I have been practicing this week studying this sermon. And I have failed at it already this week, but I have done better than I did before. We would do well that before we say anything, and I do mean anything, we stop and ask ourselves in our mind, is what I'm about to say in the love of God? Am I saying it because God loves me and I love him and I love the one I'm speaking to? And if what I'm about to say is not formed in the love of God, I probably should not say it. Now remember, truth in love, I may have to say, you are going to perish and go to hell if you do not turn from your sin. That's love. But you know what I don't have to say? All the ways that they're wrong and all the ways that I'm right. Because <laughs> there's only one who's right and one who's justified to say it, God our Father. So church, I would encourage you, everything you say, filter it through the mindset of the love of God, and ask yourself, am I saying this because I love? Because God loves me, and I love the hearer, and I want the hearer to love God. And if that's your mindset, say it. Don't be silent. Don't let the world hold you back or tie your lips together. Say it. And speak the truth in love of our glorious God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. Lord, that it is not based on my human power and wisdom and ability. It is not my time and tools and talent that gets it done. It is not my convincing words and lofty wisdom of speech that brings people to your altar and to your kingdom. It is you, O oh Lord, 
who is enacting your will that you pre-planned. You are fulfilling the steps, as Proverbs says. We may plan our way, but God establishes the steps. He pours the concrete underneath us that we walk on. He has formed the rocks of the ground. And if I won't worship him, they will cry out. Lord, let me be truthful, but let me do it in love. Let me say to the world that is lost and dying, you must turn, you must repent, or you will be cast away. And if I love them, they will hear me. Jesus, I fully believe in Luke 23, the reason you could say on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, is because you had truth in love. And you're so right, Lord Jesus, we don't know what we're doing. We are like children when the baron has left the room trying to settle our own matters. But you haven't left us. You are a parent who never leaves, never neglects, never takes off. You are there. You are there eternally. And Lord, this is your truth in love that we can rest in today. If my faith and my repentance and my trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. I stand righteous, not because of what I have done and I have said. In fact, it's the opposite of what I have done and said. It's what Jesus has done and said. And Jesus said it was finished. He said, if I come to him, he will not cast me away. If I cast my cares at his feet, he will lift up my head. Thank you, Lord Jesus for speaking truth in love upon us. And when you were worthy to grab the sword and run it through, you instead sheathed it and extended to hand and declared the will of God. God sent me to get you, and I will not fail. No one will stop me. Satan has no ability to disrupt my retrieval of God's children. And takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. Oh, thank the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people say, Amen.